If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and Key Stage 1 education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome along to episode 33 of the Early Excellence podcast. Um, this episode features me, Andy Burt, and also my colleague, Luella Ivans, as well. Now, as we head into the final half term of the year, this week, Luella and I, well, we get talking about something really important. We get talking about effective transition as part of our practice. We talk about the emotional needs of children. We talk about effective practice in relation to transition and also think about some key things to get you reflecting on in terms of your practice. Okay, so we're going to talk all about transition as part of this conversation. So then there's lots to unpack here, I think, in terms of transition. Um, even if we just start with that idea of what do we mean by effective transition, actually, there's lots to talk about. Um, interestingly, we, we often, I think, talk a lot about transition between reception and year one, that that, for us as EYFS practitioners, is often the fo- that's often the focus, I think, reception to year one. And yet, actually, these, the children, young children will have had all kinds of different transitions in their lifetime. And we need to also think about the different transitions. So transitions from from nursery, from, from maybe a private nursery into, a, into an, another nursery setting or to a childminder's, from home to a nursery. There are all kinds of different transitions. Um, so yeah, we were talking about this earlier on, weren't we, Luella, that, that actually the when we talk about transition we've got to think broadly absolutely absolutely and I think we need to be thinking about those transitions that are going to happen and obviously be preparing for them but I think we also need to be thinking about those transitions that have already happened in a child's life because whether they were successful transitions or not I think that all impacts on how children see transition and whether they feel stressed by transition or whether they embrace it. So I think I think it's something we need to think about. And I think we need to think about transition from class to class. But we also need to think about any other transitions that might need to happen as well. So, for example, if a child is moving from nursery into a reception class, are they then going to also be attending the after school club as well? So is that another transition we need to be thinking about? Because... I think often we're really good about, as teachers, about thinking about the transition that is next for our children. But I definitely think we need to be thinking about those previous transitions and any other transitions that are happening as well. Um, What do you think about that, Andy? Um, Yeah, definitely. I, I I think that sensitivity around transition, I think, is important. So not just thinking about the similarities and differences, Although, of course, that's important. The similarities and differences between each phase, if you like, or year group that we might be going into, but also be thinking about the impact of transition over time. And and I think now is actually a very good time to be having these sorts of conversations because 
when you think about the last two years particularly, young children will have had an awful lot of stress, really, around transition that we forget, I think, very easily. You know, as adults, we've, we've moved on very quickly or certainly tried to move on very quickly from, from the pandemic. You know, it's not actually not that long since we were all locked down and very, very restricted. Yeah. And yet, actually, for, for young children, many young children won't, in their living memory, they won't have anything else. You know, so if, if they are three at this point, their memory consists of being locked down. You know, it has been very much a restricted start to their life. And so therefore transitions during that time or following on from that time potentially are going to be more difficult for them. So I, I do think we need to be thinking about the emotional, the emotional needs of children at this point. That um, as adults, we've, we can remember a time before the pandemic you know, we can remember, we, we've, we've got something else that we can focus on, that we can think, well, I, I hope it's like that again, kind of thing. Whereas for young children, if, if they're three or even four, a lot of the children won't remember a time previous to that. And so we, we do need to be quite sensitive about that, really. I don't think it's something that we've, we've really thought enough about on the whole. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think we need to be thinking about that effect of stress that, that you know, happens. As, as adults, we, we get stressed, don't we? And I think the pandemic has caused a lot of stress for, for everybody. Um, but I think it's important that we think about stress on, on our youngest children as well. Um, and actually, you know, then they might not be at that stage yet where they have learned to regulate their kind of feelings and emotions. And actually, we need to be able to support that effectively, don't we? Um, yeah. We need to be able to help them to regulate and to really reason and understand what's going on and, and why that's happening and why a transition is taking place. Because for lots of children, it will have taken them a lot to get to where they are at the moment. And the thought of moving on somewhere else is really confusing. Um, and I think that's when we, we can end up sometimes seeing behaviours that... Um, we find hard to manage as adults we might start to see children who are perhaps becoming a little bit more clingy um, because they know they might be moving from one place to another or they might start having those those infamous tummy aches that lots of children get don't they um when they're worrying about something so I think yeah I think it's really important that we think about effective transition as as really helping children to feel safe and helping them to feel comfortable and really start to build that sense of belonging for children, whether that's in belonging within their current group and their current peers or their current class, but actually how that changes when children move into another classroom setting. So I, I definitely think there's lots for us to unpack here. Yeah, definitely. I, th I, think, I think helping children make making sense of how they're feeling is important, helping them to make sense of how they feel. Um, in that, that for young children moving on from, from one classroom which has felt very familiar, where they've, they've become comfortable, hopefully, and secure and confident, moving on to another space, actually, that can be sometimes very different, is really difficult. And so I think we've got to do a number of things. I think, first of all, one of the things that we need to do is to think about the next 
phase or the next year group in terms of similarities as well as differences that I think we often are very quick to try to make the next phase or year group seem different because we know that we're open to criticism if if it just looks like the previous year group you know if so, it's almost like the worst criticism somebody could make is well it just looks like reception or it just you know it just looks like nursery or whatever and we're very careful of that and i think the danger with that is that we then steer away from resources that are familiar to the children and yet i think actually a great way of the children of, of, of supporting the children to feel more confident is to have some familiarity. Um, we often talk about within a classroom, you know, as part of transition, that when we have each move from one year group to the next or one, one phase to the next, that we're, we're thinking about continuity as well as progression. So there should be some resources really that I think ought to be familiar to the children in the next year group as well. So, so I'd say if, if we are talking about reception to year one, that, for example, a set of wooden blocks within a blocks and small world area, the blocks themselves actually are so open-ended that they don't need to be different in the next year group. They haven't outlived their possibilities by the end of reception. Children in year one will do far more elaborate things with them as they grow and develop. And yet I think the danger is if we always think about, well, it's got to be different. We don't, want, we don't want somebody to say, well, this just looks like reception. Then we, we lose out on some of those possibilities, I think. I think continuity as well as progression, I think, is important. And that is part of transition. Um, I think we often, there's a tendency to think about transition as kind of a series of diary dates, of, you know, transition happens on this afternoon when we visit the new teacher and the new classroom. Um, it happens on this date when we have our new parents meeting. It happens on this date when we do this. Whereas I think actually, yes, all of those things are important. I wouldn't stop doing those things, but they're one-off things. I think more effective transition is transition which looks at the whole of the practice and considers the continuity as well as the progression and how we're going to make sure that actually there's a, there's a fluidity to that progression that moves from nursery into reception, then from reception into year one. Um, it's something that James Hitchens, when, when I talked to James Hitchens on the podcast a few weeks ago, uh, who was the head teacher at Penryn, uh, Penryn Primary School down in Cornwall, he talked, he talked, brilliantly about that progression, that continuity and progression of having continuous provision in nursery, continuous provision within reception, but then carrying it on, having, having different expectations maybe, but that the children are not going into diff completely different environments every step of the way. I'd completely agree, Andy. I think as well, it, it comes back to that idea of safety, doesn't it? Um, and, and helping children to to feel familiar and feel safe and actually I think a lot of that comes from us doesn't it as adults yeah. you know we can put everything in place physically 
we can ha- be thinking, particularly if, if we're reception teachers, we might be thinking about that end of year EYFS profile and thinking about transition and, and how we're sharing GLD perhaps with year one teachers. But sometimes those other things can be lost. And, and like you say, Andy, it's not about that one off piece of paper that we pass up with with whether the child has met the early learning goals or not. Um, it's much broader than that, isn't it? And I think as adults, we really need to be thinking about the emotional side of things for children. And we need to be thinking about the emotional environment and really putting PSED at the forefront of that transition process. Um, and I think as adults, we need to be honest with children but we also need to be sensitive and and sensitively transparent you know we we don't want to be um not preparing them adequately but we need to be thinking about how we do that and it needs to be really sensitive and i think that there's lots of ways we can do that isn't there and i think one of them is is like you said andy thinking about the practice and provision in our classrooms so does it does it mirror or reflect where the children are coming from and how does that help children to feel safe? So are those resources familiar, like you say? Are those consistent people available to those children if that they have a connection with? Um, have we thought about new experiences that we can introduce children to in a really sensitive way? And I know something you've done in the past, Andy, is you've um, done some activities, haven't you, that have spanned over um two year groups to support that transition yeah yeah absolutely you know that kind of idea of there are certain things that i think you can do at certain points in the year where the to, that will help the children to see across both year groups and to see them almost as one one phase almost Mm-hmm. So, so things like, you know, in the autumn term, you know, planting something, sorry, planting in the spring and the summer in, within, say, reception or within nursery, and then harvesting within the next school year. So that, say, if you're in reception, you're planting maybe sunflowers, knowing that actually these sunflowers will be harvested when the children are in year one. And we can talk about that, that as those sunflowers grow through the spring and summer, that actually in, when, when you're in year one, you're going to be harvesting these and you're going to be looking closely at them and you're going to be using them for observational drawing, maybe. That that's quite a nice thing to talk about, that actually you're, you're spanning the two year groups. Um, I also think that there are other things as well. You know, I talked to... Um, Amanda Belbin on the podcast from Bincombe Valley just again just I think about about a month or so ago Um, and she was talking about their home corner and how they sensitively introduced a baby into the home corner and um, they they really did this carefully they they um, they had visitors in with a newborn baby they talked about how there was going to be a newborn baby in the home corner they talked about the children's experiences and looking after a baby and really built it up to the point when the children really behaved as if they had a real baby in the home corner, which I think is fantastic. And, and it led to such powerful learning and such powerful relationships that I remember Amanda saying that it just felt right that at the end of the year that the baby, baby Arthur it was actually, moved on with the children. And so there was this sort of a, 
a kind of a, a transition process that I, I would imagine, I don't know, I wasn't there, but I would imagine actually helps the children in terms of that transition and it, in that it, there's some familiarity there. They know that, some, that, that baby Arthur is also going to be there in the new, new year group from nursery into reception. But also I think it kind of, it takes the pressure off them emotionally as well that they're caring for something else. I think there's a little bit of that about it too, which I think is important. Um, interestingly, it's just made me think that, um, made me think of when I was, we were talking about that kind of idea of preparing children emotionally for moving on and, what, and helping them to make sense of that feeling of, of, the un, of it, something being unfamiliar. I think the best, probably the best assembly that I ever saw um, was in one of the schools that I taught. The head teacher did this brilliant assembly in September, so at the start of the new school year. And he came into the assembly hall with a shoebox. He was wearing his, his usual shoes, his, his, his normal shoes, but came in with a shoebox. And of course, the children were interested to know what was inside the box. And he explained that the day before he'd been to the shops, and he'd had a good look around and he knew he needed a new pair of shoes and he'd found a pair of shoes that were just right. They were just his size and he liked them and he tried them on in the shop. And, and he said, no, I came out of the shop with these new shoes in the box and I brought them along to show you. And he showed the children the shoes, these new shoes in a box. And then he said, and I think it's about the right time that I ought to put the new shoes on. I've been kind of wearing my old shoes still, but I think I ought to really just go for it now and put the new shoes on. And in front of the children, he, he took off his old shoes and then got his new shoes out of the box and he put his new shoes on. And he said, he said, it, it's funny, he said, they feel very different. They don't feel the same. In fact, I, I don't think they're as comfortable they're not as comfortable as my old shoes. Part of me wants to put my old shoes back on because these are not as comfortable. And then he said, but when I think back actually to the time when I first got those other shoes, they weren't that comfortable when I got them either. And that maybe it just takes a bit of time, that I need a bit of time to kind of get used to these shoes and a bit of time to walk around with, in them. And and I think if, if I, and he was sort of saying, if I make sense of it to myself, I, I think I actually, I really know that probably within a, within a couple of weeks, it will feel, these will feel just as comfortable and I'll feel just at home in these shoes as I did in the other ones. And I, it struck me that that was such a simple and yet very effective way of talking about transition. That's really lovely. That I think you've got something there that is very familiar to the children. The children know that feeling of putting on a pair of shoes that are not comfortable, that are new, but but also know that those shoes will become something that is comfortable. Yeah, it just struck me as I think quite often the best assemblies or the best the best things where we're talking about feelings or talking about transition or whatever it might be are often the simplest things that that take real life experiences, that things that children are familiar with and use them in a way to open a conversation or discussion. So yeah, that was, that was it just made, it reminded me of that. And, and I suppose as well, Andy, it's that, it's that idea of connection, isn't it? And children being able to see the connection between where they are now and where they're going. And 
talking about that emotional connection is so important because you're making children realize that it's not just them that feels like that, but actually everybody goes through this process. And actually some children obviously will need more support than others. Um, But I suppose thinking about those practical ideas, such as an assembly like that or a conversation like that with children um, or some of the activities that you were referring to, such as growing or that lovely idea of moving the baby through. I think they're all they're real to children. Children understand and have familiar experiences there that they can hook on to and they can see that transition process a little bit more clearly. And I think one of the ways that you could also do that, and I've seen it done really nicely in in some of the schools, is by taking displays that the children have had in their current class. They might be displays that depict some project work they've been doing or um, some work around a specific topic. And the displays will obviously contain photographs of the children deeply involved in that learning. And it might contain um, some of their artwork or their writing or whatever that might be. Um, But actually taking that display and putting it up in the new classroom to show children that actually the learning, that process that you go through when you're learning is still the same in this classroom. And actually that hasn't changed. What has changed is the physical room and and the year group that you're in and your teacher. But actually there's a sense of familiarity there. And I think... I know lots of schools have have moved to using um, floor books and things. And I think that that's something you might want to consider. If if you use floor books in your um, school at the moment, do you squirrel them away in a cupboard at the end of the year? Or do you, you use them as part of your transition process? Do they go up to the next class and do you actually just continue that book? Or do they go up to the next class and do they go into the book corner and the children can get them out and look through them? All of those sorts of things, I think, really help children to express themselves and talk about their feelings. And it it provides that supportive emotional environment as well that we know children need. And I think it's really important that as practitioners, we're not just thinking about children being ready to learn, but we're thinking about how we can get them to that point where they're ready to learn, those steps that come beforehand. And that includes all of that work that we do during transition, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, we mentioned this briefly earlier on, but I think it is worth coming back to it, that idea of the information that we pass on. Um, You know, we talked about kind of how, yes, of course, we need to make sure that we're focusing in on the, the kind of the PSED, if you like, and that we are thinking very carefully about the children's emotions and feelings at this point, and we're supporting the children in lots of different ways, both through our practice and through through the conversations and the discussions and, and, and in different ways. But part also of it is about that handing over information as well, isn't it? You know, whether we're talking about from nursery to reception or from reception into Key Stage 1, there, there really does need to be a, a real hand on, handover. And I think I'm calling it a handover, but it's really probably more of a conversation than handing something over, really. So thinking about what is useful is important, you know, kind of planning for it so that we know what information we're going to, we're going to be sharing and discussing, I think is important. 
So, and I, and I would also think about this as something that, that is not probably just, just one meeting, but that could be something that actually happens at different points in the year. So that actually the, maybe the, the teacher from the next year group could come into the classroom and see the children and that we're using the same language when we're talking about the children at different points in the year with, with their next teacher. So we're talking about the characteristics of effective learning, for example, so that when the, the next teacher has got these children in their class, that whilst they may be looking at and talking about different objectives, they do know how this child goes about learning most effectively. They do know what sorts of things fascinate them or interest them. They do know the, their real skills in terms of problem solving or working things out. That they know not just what the child can do or what they know, but they know how, what they're like as a learner. And I think, I think the characteristics of effective learning can be a great shared language for transition. You know, that whether we, even though whilst you know particularly when we're, when we're talking about reception to year one there's a lot that's made of the differences isn't there between between early years and key stage one the differences in terms of the curriculum and, and expectations and all of that sort of thing but actually I think we've got to find a shared ground a kind of a shared language and the characteristics of effective learning can provide that shared language I think yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. I think, and I know in we have a, a key stage one core package here at Early Excellence. It's a core package of training and it helps um, key stage one teachers to rethink their practice and provision. And, and, it, and we focus a lot in on those characteristics of effective learning because like you say, Andy, it is that shared language. Um, you know, the characteristics don't stop when you turn five. <laughs> They are, they are the way in which children learn. And actually, we want to be carrying those through. So when we are having those transition conversations with, with the next teacher, whether that's the key stage one teacher or the reception teacher or the nursery teacher, that we're, t we're using that shared language. We're talking about the characteristics of effective learning. We're thinking about how involved children are in their learning as well and the ways in which children learn and their interests you know what what motivates these children to learn what motivates that particular child to learn and why so i think thinking in in detail as well about the information that you share and ensuring that yes it's important that we share whether the the children met the early learning goals or not or where they are in their learning it's also important that we that we talk about their interests and how they learn as well. I think that is crucial. And then obviously we don't just talk about it, but as receivers of that information during that conversation, we then act on it. And then we think about our practice and our pedagogy. And actually, if we know that the children are choosing to learn in this particular way or they're motivated particularly by um, large scale play outdoors, that that's reflected into that next term for the children as they move into your classroom and that your provision supports those things that have been discussed. And I think as well, Andy, it's it's about thinking about who needs to be involved in those conversations, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, thinking about 
who needs to be a valued part of the discussion. Um, you know, who knows these children best, I think is important to consider, you know, so to be thinking about, you know, maybe, you know, what information do we share with parents? How do we involve parents in the conversation about how the child is feeling in terms of moving on to the next year group? That the, the child might not necessarily be showing any anxiety within school, but through having conversations with the parents, we can find that actually they are quite anxious about it, that they, they wanted to be with a particular friend when they move on, and that we need to know that information, that there are certain things that actually will make that transition easier for the child. And of course, we know that children's well-being is closely linked to how then they learn, how effectively they then learn. Children with high levels of well-being learn more effectively. And therefore, it's not just, we're not just talking about the kind of, I suppose, well, the, it is the important stuff, of course, of children feeling comfortable and secure and confident. We are talking about that also because we want our children to be effective learners too. Um, and so we've got to really think about those, those levels of well-being. If we can support those children in terms of those levels of well-being, that actually they're going to be in the right place to, to learn effectively. Children who are anxious, children who are concerned, children who feel insecure are not open to new thinking, are not open to taking on new ideas, don't tend to challenge themselves in quite the same way. They're not as effective as learners. So in lots of ways, we've got to think about well-being too, I think. Um, certainly, I think if, if members of staff aren't familiar with um, the work of Ferrolavas, the, the Leuven scales, then certainly that, again, is a, a tool that's really effective to use as part of a transition tool so that your, the members of staff maybe in year one are actually know of those Leuven scales, know how settled and how secure and how confident those children were within the EYFS and within reception, and know, know that actually that's where we've got to make sure that those children are when they're in key stage one. So I think all of that, I think that it doesn't provide you with answers, but it certainly gives you lots to have the meaningful conversations around, I think. It's a very useful tool. So yeah, the Leuven scale, I would certainly recommend. And I think, Andy, as well, just on that note around the Leuven scales, I think it's important to remember as well that this is this is more for people in key stage one, really. But for children that are coming through from reception into key stage one, those that perhaps haven't met some of those early learning goals, key stage one have to ensure that those opportunities are there for children to meet those. And I think when we think about well-being, we think we need to think about the children and how they feel when they're faced with challenges. And often I think if we're not thinking about children's gaps and where they may not have had chance yet to meet that early learning goal, whether that's because they're summer born or whether that's because they're just not there yet. There's lots of reasons why a child might not have met the early learning goal, but we need to ensure that we're not putting a curriculum onto them in key stage one but that we're actually ensuring we are supporting children to achieve that early learning goal that they haven't yet achieved before we move them on to that key stage one curriculum, because it does come back to well-being and it comes back to that 
confidence and instilling that into the children. And actually children are going to be far more confident when they've got those core foundations in place. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I was saying to you before, wasn't I, that I think one of the, one of a phrase that I, that, that I sometimes come into contact with that I really don't like is that, that idea of um, teacher might say to me, I've been told that I shouldn't be teaching this now. You know, I've been yeah. I've been told that I'm that in in autumn one or autumn two I shouldn't now be teaching this, and I I I don't agree with that idea. And in, just in just in that, yes, of course, if if your if that's something that you're if you're trying to teach something that actually your children are not needing, then yes, you shouldn't be teaching that now. But usually, I hear that term more in more in the context of that the teacher is teaching something that is a an early skill that they feel that the child needs and that they've been told that actually they shouldn't be teaching it because they should be teaching a skill that's further on than that at this point in the year and the reason that I don't agree with it is is that unless those key skills those core early skills are in place as you've just mentioned I think there's very little that you're then building those skills on and later on those children often come unstuck you know in if they're if they're missing key skills in terms of language and vocabulary or storytelling or whatever it might be you can try and gloss over it and move on quickly but I I think we sometimes try and convince ourselves that, that that's progress and I don't really think it is. So I, I, I do think we've got to be quite careful with that. Yeah, um, and I think we need to think really carefully about, about our practice and our pedagogy. And is it aligned to where the children are at currently? And how does it move the children forward? And actually, it's not about jumping and missing out core blocks from the foundation that the children might not have met. Just because they've left the foundation stage and moved into key stage one doesn't mean then that the key stage one curriculum should be done to them but actually we need to ensure that we are you know ensuring that children have got secure foundations um, so thinking about our practice and our pedagogy and ensuring that we are aligned across early years in key stage one I think is really really important yeah absolutely if people are wanting further reading on this because I, I know it's a lot to take on board within one podcast episode. Um, I'd certainly recommend, you know, if you want, if you need a book to hold, as many people do, you know, you need something to keep coming back to. Um, I would recommend um, Julie Fisher. Julie Fisher's Moving On to Key Stage One is a great book. Um, lots of key principles there around, um, around transition. Um, I've got a feeling it might be called Moving On to Year One, not Key Stage One. No, it is key stage one. Is it key stage one? Moving on to key stage one. I couldn't remember whether it's moving on to year one or key stage one. Either way, moving on with Julie Fisher, you will, you'll find it, I'm sure. Um, it's a great book, um, very accessible, um, very much, very practical. So based around experience and practice, very, very practical guidance and clear thinking and guidance around pedagogy, around transition, around practice and provision. Lots there, I think, to really explore in, in lots of detail. And, and Julie Fisher is, is 
is somebody that I think presents that information so well that it's so accessible and yet at the same time in real depth as well. So yeah, I'd certainly recommend that. Um, we there was an, another text, wasn't there, Luella? Yes. Well, we were talking about we actually have a key stage one continuous provision guide, don't we? Um, so I would recommend if you are thinking about rethinking your key stage one that you check out Julie Fisher, but also check out our early excellence key stage one continuous provision guide because that will help with looking at your continuous provision in a bit more detail and planning for that key stage one continuous provision really carefully, which will obviously support that effective transition as well. And that's about all we've got time for for this week. Thank you again for listening. Now, if this episode has really got you thinking about effective transition in a different way, maybe thinking about transition between nursery and reception and then reception into key stage one, then it's well worth looking back at some of our previous podcast episodes. Um, the episode where I interviewed James Hitchens, I think is a great one for this. James talks a lot. As head teacher of his school, he talks a lot about that knowledge and understanding of what is offered for the children in nursery, what the children then have access to within reception, and then what they have access to within Key Stage 1 as well. I'd also point you towards the Early Excellence Continuous Provision Guide for Key Stage 1. You know, if, particularly if you're looking specifically at that transition between reception and Year 1, then the Early Excellence Continuous Provision Guide would be great for this. Because within it, what we do is we highlight where you've got that continuity and progression, where there are similarities and differences. So there's not a completely different approach, but the key stage one approach within that continuous provision guide builds seamlessly on from that reception practice. And so within it, we have that effective transition practice in place there. There's certainly lots to think about there. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Have a good week and we'll see you next week.